another week, another episode. Now, thank you for tuning in and please do consider subscribing to our YouTube channel. Now today's episode is a very special one for me because we have a very special guest on the episode. He's a former player, now a current coach, originally from London. He now resides in Los Angeles, California, coaching the football aspirants over there. He's a lifelong Chelsea fan. He also has his own platform along with a fellow blue called Simon Phillips where together they bring weekly podcast articles and most importantly, player transfer exclusives. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome Dan McCarthy to the Matchball podcast. Hello, Dan, and thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Yeah, thank you for having me on. Uh, very excited to finally get on your platform here. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no worries, no worries. I mean, uh, it's funny that just a Twitter conversation has led us to being here and recording. So it's a it's a, it's my it's my pleasure as well to have you on. Now, first things first. You were at the game last night. You were at Stamford Bridge. First half was very good. You saw Romelu Lukaku score and celebrate a few meters away from you. And then mm-hmm. the second half did not go as per plan. What are your first of all uh, initial reactions? Just I mean, I know you must have had a proper uh, reaction inside. But what were your honest thoughts about the game last night? Yeah, no, I was at the game last night, as you said, sitting in the shed lower. And um, yeah, we looked, I tweeted it myself uh, last night, we looked very tired, even from the start. You know, players looked very leggy, very tired, extra touches, loose touches on the ball. Uh, We looked like a team that is just ticking the boxes and playing because we have to be there rather than a fit and firing fast Thomas Tuchel team. So um, it was, you know... It looked like one of them nights where we could have drawn or lost the game uh, to start the game. And then, obviously, special players produced special moments. And Romelu Lukaku obviously popped up with a goal uh, to put us 1-0 up, which was great, fantastic. Um, but, yeah, as the game went on, Brighton gained more of a control of the game. Um, they possessed the ball very well. Basuma, especially in the midfield, in the centre, played very well. He was, you know, controlling the game and... Brighton's confidence grew, ours dropped, their energy levels raised, ours dropped again and it felt like inevitably, eventually they would equalise and, and they did in the end, obviously right at the end there with Danny Welbeck and um, yeah, I think it was deserved to be honest, Ryan. I think it was deserved, I think 1-1 was probably fair, however, when you're winning the game and you give away the points, it's obviously very frustrating. Yeah and I mean, the result is one thing but it, I mean, there is a whole lot that goes uh, below the result. I mean, 1-1 did not necessarily show how we were underwhelming or how the some of the referee's decisions did not go in our favour. And what what do you think about that? I mean, I've never seen Tuchel so agitated after the match and especially not necessarily name-dropping, but he was very clear he was talking about the referee. I've never seen him that agitated. What do you think? Yeah, no, I um, I only saw his interview this morning, but I read on la- I read last night that he was obviously very infuriating, right? Perhaps the most he's ever been, as you said there. Um, yeah, my thing was I thought we I don't like to blame the referee because it's obviously a very difficult job, um, and it's it, it kind of it's easy, right? However, he was poor uh, in the stadium last night. A lot of people were getting onto him, uh, especially the Chelsea fans, um, because it's. It, it seemed biased. A lot of decisions went against Chelsea, a lot. Uh, we racked up 14 pounds compared to their seven, which tells you all you need to know. Um, in terms of key moments, I was glad the goal was allowed. Obviously, Lukaku, there was no foul there. So I was glad that was allowed. However, 
you know, just very minimal fouls, minimal contact being called. He was whistling everything. It got very tedious. The game didn't have a flow to it. Uh, in terms of the actual moments at the time, the Pulisic moment, uh, the penalty, and a Mason Mount's disallowed goal, they were down the other end to me, so they were hard to see in person. Yeah, However, now I've seen the video. Yeah, no, I wish I didn't see the video of the Callum yeah, hunter the doorway pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's just going to go Yeah, I, w- I wish I never saw that. Um, <laughs> at the time, I just thought it was a poor decision from Callum. I thought Callum should have gone on his own and shot himself. However, now I've seen it back. Yeah, I wish I didn't. Um, I actually haven't seen the Mason Mount one back yet where he allegedly pushed the player over. I haven't seen that yet, but I have seen the the Pulisic um, penalty shout, which Thomas Tuchel Wright said it was 100% a penalty. Um, I can understand why he feels very strongly about it. I can see why he's frustrated. I've seen those given. I've seen penalties given for that. The fact that it wasn't even checked is alarming. Um, So yeah, I can understand why Thomas Tuchel is... It's furious. And yeah, Mike Dean didn't have his best game yesterday. I just don't think Mike Dean lost Chelsea, to be honest with you. <laughs> and and uh, it doesn't work well in our favour that I think on second Jan, Anthony Taylor is the referee for Chelsea Liverpool. I'm not too sure about it. I read it somewhere. I'm not sure about it. So don't quote me on it. But if that's the case, you know how it how it might play for us. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to be great for us. Yeah, it's not going to be great. <laughs> right. And I mean, I, I think I read a tweet uh, from Liam uh, that... Uh, the whole point of VAR is that you pick on the moments that the referee and the players and the human eye missed. I mean, I remember our goal against uh, Atletico Madrid in the first first leg. So, initially it was an offside, and uh, but still VAR checked on it. And then you realized that it was it, that the touch actually came from an Atletico player, which Giroud capitalized on. Yes, yeah, the overhead kick yeah, in the Champions League. Yeah, but that's what it's supposed to be, like you say. Um, that's what it's supposed to be for. And moments such as the handball, which we've now seen, right? Um, Callum Hudson Lewis passed to Mason Mount. That, that, that's something that should be fixed. Um, the Pulisic, well, Mike Dean didn't have an opportunity to look at it. He should at least have that opportunity to see it. He didn't. Um, and then the Mason Mount one, um, he blew the whistle before it even went in the back of the net, which allows it, which takes away the opportunity to look at it. Mike Dean should know better to let that go in. And then address it after he didn't do that. So yeah, there was three or four moments in the game that were not, you know, refereed correctly within the rules, the current rules of the game, which are ambiguous and, and poor as it is. However, yeah, no, it wasn't a great refereeing performance. And Chelsea can, you know, um, I will say there were a lot of moments when against us and we were unlucky. However, I do think the result in, in general was a fair result if I'm just a football fan looking right. at it, you know. Right, right. And if you look at it in the past 18 games, I think we've only lost once against West Ham. And I mean, if a draw is looked upon so negatively as a loss, it kind of shows the standard that Tuchel has set him since he came and took over, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. Um, it's yeah, we're not. What's good is you could argue when you're playing poorly and you're still getting a point every game. That's a small positive to take away from this. I think in previous times we would have lost these games. You know, we would have found it hard to even get a goal or not right. concede more than one. Right. Whereas now we're taking away at least a point. However, after you win the Champions League and do so well, you don't want to be holding on for draws, not losses. You want to be winning then games. And we've had a few where we've scraped barrel and won against Watford, I remember. We didn't probably deserve it. However, we've been picked back a lot in the last few games. And we're not losing games, but at the end of the day, we have to. if we want to win a league title, we have to win games. Right, right. And the draws result in us losing, dropping points. So that also does not work in our favour. And uh, I think... 
last night's injury blows were were more impactful than expected. I mean, Reese James, first of all, starting at left wing back was, I think, a tactical decision by Tuchel. And then to get injured, I mean, that kind of blows up. Uh, it kind of summarizes that we have to have some business in January. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we are struggling, especially in the wing-back positions, right? We are struggling for players. Obviously, we're looking at Lucas Dinia, as we now know, and a couple of others. Emerson, we inquired to get him back on loan, which we now know, uh, and that is not going to happen. Right. Ian Martin from commentary, who's on loan, the young kid, he won't be coming back. So it looks like Lucas Dinia is going to be the number one target to get. Uh, but yeah, we definitely need reinforcements because we are dropping like flies. Um, the title challenge... I mean, you can argue that's gone, been and gone. I don't think it's been and gone yet. I think it's too early. However, I've always said City would win the league this year. We were always going for second or third. Um, but yeah, in terms of if we're going to even, you know, maintain our top four challenge and make sure we make the top four, which I think we will, we definitely need one or two reinforcers because our squad is absolutely depleted at this point. Right. The COVID and the injuries, and they have not actually particularly helped, helped us in continuing with a title challenge. Like Tuchel said yesterday, it's very, it's, Stupid to even think that we're in the contention right now, but right, you said, like you said, there are still 19 more games to be played, 18, 19 games to be played. So there are 50 plus points up for grabs. So you never know what can happen. Now uh, we mentioned about Luca Dinia. Uh, I had a question. Let let's say let's say hypothetically Everton decides that they don't want to get rid of, they don't want to uh, release Luca Dinia. They only want a permanent deal, and we only want a loan move, and that does not happen. I had a name in mind. Do you think? Chelsea could target someone like Rafael Guerrero who plays for Dortmund given that he has also played under Tuchel. You think that might be a possibility? I like the player. Um, I think he's a good player. I, I see what you've done with the link obviously to Tuchel and Dortmund. I don't think Chelsea will go for him because I don't think Dortmund will let him go. Um, I think there's still, you know, the expression, right, sour grapes. I still think there's you know, a little bit of animosity between Chelsea and Dortmund because of the whole Erling Haaland saga and how that went around. So I don't think Chelsea and Dortmund will be doing any business um, in this window in January, for sure. Uh, in the summer, unless you look at a Calamar to the door, maybe going over there, which I don't think will happen. Yeah, I don't see us doing business with Dortmund, to be honest, from what I've what I've seen and known. However, I like Guerrero as a player. Um, I know there's been other names, such as Tagliafico, right, from Ajax, who I right, find, right. find unlikely. Um, so, yeah, I think Dinya is definitely the number one target. There were also some rumours about Sergino Dest from Barcelona to Chelsea or were they just general rumours? Yeah, so Chelsea, Chelsea kind of looked into it because he's a player that can play left side, right side. He can play numerous positions, right? Um, there's the American, obviously, link there, which we have with Christian Pulisic. So, I think Chelsea have looked into it. I'm not a fan of the player, personally. I don't think he's what Chelsea want and need. That's my personal opinion. However, um, yeah, Chelsea are open. Chelsea are open to different options. They're looking, they're exploring different things. Um, with that said, uh, we do know that the furthest developed saga right now in that position is definitely Luca Dinia. But again, Chelsea won a loan deal. Everton won a permanent deal. We've got, we've got to see what happens. Right, right. And we don't want a situation where we wait until the deadline day to scrap a deal mm-hmm. and then unnecessarily get, you know, get fisted, so to speak. The way we got fisted with Kepa Rizbalaga, literally we had to pay money because Courtois left so late. So we would definitely not want a situation like that. Uh, I had a question uh, on on the on the other side of the pitch. So we've seen Pulisic play in the right wing back position, and it's not been his greatest performance. 
do you think that right wing bank would be a position for us to prioritize because right now our options are only pulisic and aspeliqueta do you think we should prioritize that in january i think if you've got money available and resources available you should however i don't know if chelsea have that right now i mean we just posted 145 million pounds worth of losses which is our worst financial year ever i believe um so money's not exactly there is money available but not loads of it so I think Chelsea will see left wing back as more of a priority or maybe even centre midfield before they would look at the right side. I personally still think we should try Callum Hudson-Odoi there. I think he deserves another go there and I think we should move Pulisic further up the field. I think the experiment with Christian Pulisic playing right wing back should be over now. He's done okay, but it's not his position. I think Callum is actually probably better suited to play there for now and then move Christian to where Callum is. So then we should just do a swap. That's my personal opinion again. Um, like I said, if Chelsea had more money available and more time, then maybe we would look at right wing back. But I definitely think it comes fair to centre midfield and left wing back for now. Yeah, and like you said, uh, Pulisic probably has the more attacking intent, and Hudson-Odoi is more, uh, more uh, he can defend better than Pulisic, so to speak. So it will be better to maybe experiment with a straight swap and see how he functions further up ahead. Now, you mentioned central midfield. Now, uh, given this this mini injury crisis that we have, it's difficult for Chelsea fans to be optimistic about midfield business happening in January. But given that we do need a central midfielder right now, despite having three of probably the best midfielders in the world, few of the best in the world, can we be a little bit optimistic about some development happening in January of the central midfield position? I think if we make something happen in January, it won't be for the player coming in January. I think it'll be a deal agreed upon in January for them to come in the summer. Um, especially like a, a, to assure many. You know, I think if we were to agree a deal with him, he wouldn't come immediately. I think he would come at the end of the season. Uh, I think in an ideal world, we'd get him immediately, but I just don't think Monaco will allow that to happen. Right, right. I mean, we definitely won't be signing, signing Declan Rice in January, obviously, that's for sure. And at all in the summer either. So, yeah, I definitely think whilst we could get a deal done in January, it won't be for that player playing in Chelsea Blue in January. It'll be for the summer. Okay. I mean, between Shormany and uh, Declan Rice, who would you prefer for us to have? Declan Rice. <laughs> I mean, I can understand that. But uh, I think West Ham are being too greedy with the, the valuation. I think that is the one of the biggest problems for us. And we've had major signing in form of Lukaku this season. So I don't think we'll shell out that much of money for him. Not in the summer, not not in Jan and definitely not in the summer. Yeah, no. Um, West Ham want a lot of money for him, which I understand because he is their best player. He's their captain. He's arguably one of the best players in the Premier League right now. Right, right. Um, he's only, he's, he's only going to get better. Right, He's still very young. Uh, with that said, he's also a London rival. Chelsea and West Ham don't love doing business. I know they did business, obviously, with Kurt Zuma, but that made sense for both parties. This doesn't make sense for both parties because West Ham don't want to lose him. Chelsea, uh, West Ham will definitely charge Chelsea more than they would any other club. And we just obviously recorded my own podcast, as I obviously, as you know, before this morning here in the UK. And um, I said on there that I'd be surprised if Chelsea ever got Declan Rice just because of the fact that West Ham will ask so much money for him. I don't think Chelsea will pay it. And I think they'll sell to another club for less money anyway, but enough for them to be satisfied. So, Right, right. And I think uh, our board doesn't necessarily sign back players who we have released in the past. 
be it in the form of academy or uh, in the senior team. So I can understand where you are coming from. I don't think rise to Chelsea as optimistically as we want it to happen won't happen in the in in the real world. Right. So we have a fair bit of January business lined up ahead. I'm I'm very optimistic that at least we can sign. Luca Dina, I, I want that signing to happen because having Marcos Alonso as the only option at left wing back is a very scary thought. I mean, with that, the round of 16 tie against Lille becomes a final for us. It's that scary of a thought. Right, so now I'll, I want to shift the attention away from the pitch and on to you. Now, uh, I want to ask you, can you give me a brief origin story about how, I mean, how you started getting into this uh, world of coaching and you were a former player yourself and now you're a coach and how how have you decided leaving London and then going to Los Angeles how did that journey go through yeah so um, yeah I played a lot obviously like every kid started playing very very young in and out of academies and stuff here locally and then um, when I was released from all that academy stuff I decided to move to um, America to play uh, football, soccer over here. Um, I've been in LA now for seven years and I've coached five, six of those years. Uh, I did my studies out here as well. So I did university out here, graduated with a degree in business management over here. And I've just been coaching full-time really ever since um, in terms of, you know, the, um, yeah, the playing. I don't play much anymore to be honest I was always very intrigued by the coaching side of the game even when I was playing I always was very intrigued in coaching I started coaching very young part-time when I was 16 um, so I've always been very interested in it and I, and I actually prefer coaching to playing to be honest with you um, so yeah I've always enjoyed the game itself I've always been involved in the game uh, whether it's playing coaching analyzing whatever um, or as a fan but yeah full-time coaching is definitely where I find myself most of the time now and why the United States? I mean, you did not want to try anything in Europe? Yeah, I've always been very intrigued by the United States, even as a young kid. I've been a big uh, basketball fan, Laker fan, since I was very young. So um, I was always very intrigued by that. And then when the opportunity came up to, to go to the States, you know, as a, as a teenager, I was very excited about that, you know, especially for education purposes in terms of going to university um, and having the opportunity to get that paid for. You know, so yeah, um, that was probably the biggest thing. And then I've always been very intrigued about Los Angeles. So when I was finally able to land here and have the opportunity to do so, it was one, it was too good to be true. And I was already thinking about more than playing. I was thinking about coaching, I was thinking about education. So yeah, when that all happened in LA, uh, it all landed last year. We've just been here ever since. Fantastic. And I mean, this is actually, this is such a nice story for you to have. Like you, I mean, usually kids, you, at your age, when you started coaching, want to play more, and you were more intrigued by the tech, by the technical, tactical side of things. So, that's a very, uh, very nice thing to know about you. And how did you get into this? Uh, I mean, how did the Chelsea affiliation start? What made you fall in love with Chelsea? So, Chelsea would be my dad, or uh, my whole family, really. At Chelsea, um, grew up obviously being a Chelsea fan. You know, going to lots of Chelsea games, been involved in Chelsea as well, playing. Um, so, yeah, Chelsea's always just been in my life, always. Didn't know anything different, didn't have another choice, really, to be honest. And then, you know, when you kind of meet and play with certain people, meet people, you start building them connections. Um, and you stay in touch with people, build relationships. And if you're smart, you're a good person, you keep those relationships. And 
yeah, you just build them up over the years. And then um, obviously now I'm on Chelsea Twitter, which I'm sure you're about to ask me about I now. Was just coming to that. <laughs> I was just <laughs> going to ask you about that. Like, how, how did that also happen? What made you become a, yeah, such so, an integral part of Chelsea Twitter? Yeah, no, it's very kind. Um, so on Twitter, just as a normal you know, person, as we all are, right? Um, eventually, you know, at the top, very early as a teenager. Um, I never really knew what football Twitter was, to be honest. And then a few years later, I kind of got back into Twitter a bit more often, should we say, built a good relationship with Simon, obviously Phillips, who I've known for a long time, um, who's been doing it for a long time. He's been, you know, smashing it for a, a few years now. And uh, he was always, you know, always wanted to, we always wanted to work together. We did a little bit. Uh, very early on for the Chelsea Echo, which is something that he created a long time ago. I think it, I believe it's still going under Louis Benaventi now. Uh, so he created that. I got involved with him there, did some work with him there. And then eventually we kind of said he moved on to his own thing. I kind of stepped away from it. Um, but we always said eventually we'd work together again. And then um, he started, he reached out and kind of said, hey, let's get this going. But you're going to have to kind of build your profile you know, build your connections, your relationships. He already knew I had connections and relationships in my time in England, trying with Chelsea or at Chelsea or et cetera. So obviously we could use those to our advantage. And um, yeah, so we just kind of got back together, started discussing what we wanted to do. And we created, obviously, originally Cy Phillips Talks Chelsea, which was then renamed to Cy and Dan Talks Chelsea. And we've just been doing that ever since. And yeah, you've seen me on Twitter uh, ever since then. Yep, yep. You've been crushing it. You've not just been doing it. You've been crushing it ever since you started that. Okay. Uh, right. So you're known for your player player exclusive, and you come up with small. You, whenever you release a player exclusive, you only your tweet is only one or two words and an emoji. You don't necessarily get into the nitty gritty of it and give give a lot of it away. Now, before you tweet this, how do you ensure, or how are you certain that? Any source which tells you this is genuine without revealing your trade secret, of course. Yeah, no, um, it's difficult. You know, you, everyone gets burned once in a while. It's happened to me. It's happened to others. It happens. Um, that's partly the reason why I don't include or express too many details because of things like that. Um, however, you do have your, obviously, certain relationships, connections, contacts that you go to for a lot of things. Every, not everything's always gospel, crystal clear because it's difficult. It's ambiguous, right? Things can change. I could talk to someone there and in an hour's time it's changed. One person will tell me one thing, one person will say another. You know, for example, I'll hear one thing and Simon's heard the complete opposite. And then that happens a lot. So then I won't put anything out. If it's conflicting, it's two different places, two different things, I won't put really anything out. Um, if I put anything out, I have to be pretty confident in it. Uh, but again, it's very hard to be 100% on most things. Um, so yeah, you just kind of have your same people that you go to, you, you know, your trustworthy people and then you, you get a lot of people who reach out to you and say, oh, I know this and I've heard this and you kind of test them and you, you know, you kind of see if, if they are legit, most of them are not, unfortunately, but some will be because um, everyone sees it as an opportunity. Everyone sees it as a quick fix to fame, which I don't, I don't really, that doesn't really bother me at all. Um, but yeah, so you just kind of build those relationships, but in terms of, you know, what you share and what you can't share, it's very difficult. It's very tedious because, you don't want to give too much away. Sometimes you're told not to give much away and you don't want to say too much because you don't want to lose your source. And so that's why some people get frustrated, right? And say, well, give us more. Tell us the truth. Why can't you give us more? It's it's not because I don't want to. It's because I'm not allowed to. Um, Or I can't yet because there's more to it or the source has said they can't give away their source they can't give away their contacts. So 
it's very difficult. It can be ambiguous and treacherous at times, but you know, it's all good fun. And I think football Twitter is always ruthless when when things don't go according to your plan, and then they are always there <laughs> waiting for you to fail. Somehow hoping for you to fail, and then they can come all guns blazing at you. But I think more times than other, you have had tremendous success in predicting and not predicting basically letting us know about deals before they actually happen and there are other people on the platform there's Fabrizio who everyone follows and so I mean what made me uh, appeal what I mean your tweets appeal to me because they were before whenever he put out something and I liked and I did not like how people who were the non-believers became believers because Fabrizio said so that was one thing I did not like about that and so that's why my allegiance is always with you when it comes to Chelsea news. Be it anyone, be it anywhere, it's always going to be. I, I will, I will. Rather than a here we go, I'll prefer a Dan deal. If you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love it, my friend. I love it. Yeah, no, it is. Um, that's a good one. That's a good one that you said there. When uh, the you know, the disbelievers become believers is a good one. And yeah, there's been a few times where I've, you've got there early, and you know, Fabrizio, who I who I know and speak to, is obviously a great guy. And, you know, when he confirms things, he's seen as the goat, right? For, right, right. for 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 good reason. He's he's incredible. His work rate is incredible. His connections are fantastic. Um, when he confirms it, you feel good. Uh, obviously, Simon is obviously a big account on there as well. Who confirms things a lot. It's you know Matt Law, others. Right. You know, uh, there's so many people doing great work for Chelsea. I don't see it as a competition. I see it as everybody doing their part for the community, which is great. Um, yeah, it's nice when things are confirmed. Uh, obviously, the obsession with a lot of them of people is to be first. Uh, and that's great. You know, there's been loads of times where we've had the news and we haven't shared it. And then it's been shared and we've sat there and gone, but why didn't we just do it? You know, because you do risk the wrath of Twitter. You do risk the wrath of sources. You don't want to lose them connections. You know, Twitter is a small part of it in the grand right, scheme of things. Right, right. Um, that's just a place that you share it. Um, but yeah, there's been those moments, but there's also been moments where maybe we've jumped too early and then things have changed. So, and that's worse. So you don't want to do that. So yeah, no, it's an interesting game. Um, but I'd rather be right than first is what I always kind of say. I'd rather be, you know, correct than first. And if that means I'm second or third and you get people saying you just copied him or them, then <laughs> it, is what, <laughs> it is what it is, you know. Yeah, it's like the whatever you do, it's like Twitter is a press conference for everything. And whatever goes behind the scenes, you can't reveal too much to the media, which is us people following you. So it must be hard for you to to restrict yourself or not necessarily reveal something too much, like you said, at the risk of losing your sources. For sure. Yeah, no, that's why it's, it's difficult. And Twitter's, you know, it's not an official professional platform, right? So you're not right, writing right. an article on it. I know we have our platform, but, and, you know, that's as professional as it can be. But in terms of it's not an official newspaper, an official, you know, uh, outlet. So it's difficult. Right. Uh, and even those are speculating and, and trying to put the pieces together and put two and two together, um, which is what football journalism is. Um, you know, I, I use journalism, the term journalism loosely with us. Um, however, you know, um, it is difficult, but it's what a lot of people have careers on, make money on. You know, a lot of people are connected to Chelsea because of that. Uh, but yeah, in terms of detail specifics, you know, there's definitely a lot easier teams and clubs to work on than and be included in than Chelsea. Chelsea are very good at you know, masking that, not letting a lot, a lot come out. Links are difficult. So, yeah, it right. could be easier. But again, it's a team we all know and love and invested in. So that's yeah. why we do it. That is why we have the best director in Europe at our club. So 
it, it, it's almost fair that go. we do things differently and make sure that it's it's the best way to do things right so before Absolutely. before we come to the conclusion of this episode in in a few days time we have the big match chelsea versus liverpool at stamford bridge huge title huge not necessarily the title decider but a race for second place at least how do you see that match going what what do you think would happen yeah no i mean if you're looking at the stats and the and all the um all the figures and facts and figures right now <coughs> excuse me you would see and expect probably liverpool to to come out against us firing right they just lost so they're going to be very you know, very keen to put that right. They're going to be somewhat, quote-unquote, angry. Uh, so they're going to come out firing. They've got Salah staying. They've got Mane staying until that game. Obviously, with, um, going off to the Africa Cup of Nations, we'll have Mendy. Um, so, yeah, you'd, everything points to, and obviously Chelsea's injuries, especially at full-back. You're going to have Alonso, Aspi, Pulisic, who knows yet, panning against Mane and Salah. It doesn't look good. Um, so you'd, a lot, you wouldn't be crazy to suggest a Liverpool win. With that said, I think Chelsea are a club who often do well in hard times with backs against the wall. We've been known to, it doesn't really make sense, but we've been known to do stranger things. So uh, I'll be out of the game. I'm going to the game. So I want to be naturally optimistic because of that. Um, but, you know, I've, I've I've seen crazier things than Chelsea, you know, come out and win that game. I mean, we drew 1-1 obviously earlier in the year against them and right, right. we were unlucky you know, we're unlucky not to win that game, albeit the red card. So we've shown we can, can compete against them. Yes, we were a lot more fit and firing and, and healthy then. Right, right. However, Thomas Ducal is a fantastic coach. Uh, if there's anybody that can figure it out, it'll be him. Right, right. Uh, I think it'll be a good, I think it'll be a cagey game. I don't think it'll be open. I don't think it'll be back and forth transitional game. I think it'll be cagey. I think it'll be tight unless Liverpool score early. Um, I predicted on our podcast a 1-0 win with a Lukaku goal. I'm going to stick with it. Um, just because I think Backs against the wall. Tuchel is the man that can do it. Why not? You know. Um, however, if, you know, you can't argue if Liverpool do win because everything that's going against us. But I'd like to be optimistic. Right, right. You'll be in the same spot watching Lukaku score the header once again. So I was in the shed lower for that game. I'll actually be in the Matthew Harding upper for this game. So I'll be in the I'll be the opposite end up top. So I won't be as close as I was last night, unfortunately, when I was. You know, with Lukaku, Mason Mount and Reese James, especially when they were taking corners. But I'll be close enough, hopefully, to see Lukaku score a goal. That'll be nice. And hopefully win this time. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. I, I don't do predictions because I stopped predicting uh, our Champions League run in 2021 and we won the competition. So I decided I'll, I'll never do another Chelsea prediction ever again. When anyone asks me how, we will, how, we, how the result would be, I always say we'll have more than 500 passes and more than 50% position. That's all I say. <laughs> <laughs> there you go there you go unfortunately we didn't have that last night we had 48% of the ball last night so you're probably right and, and not doing predictions that's probably a good idea and I should probably I should probably stop doing them too <laughs> yeah you never know I mean it works for some it doesn't work for some right right so that is all from me today thank you Dan so much for taking the time out and joining me on this podcast it took a while for you to be here but I'm very very happy that you made it yeah, no, sorry, again, apologies for all the delays and everything. Um, I'm just really happy to have made it on finally. Obviously, appreciate your support and all your kindness on Twitter. Uh, I'm sure we'll connect on there as we do. Of course. Um, and yeah, happy to come on anytime. Really, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yep, yep. Thank you so much. So all the links to Dan and all the socials, or uh, Sai and Dan Talk Chelsea, all of that will be in the description for you all to follow. Please do consider following them. 
And if you've made it this far in the episode, please do consider subscribing to this channel as well. Leave a like, leave a comment. Any feedback is appreciated. Right, so that's it for this episode. Uh, I'll be releasing this in the next year. So wishing all our listeners a very, very happy new year. If you've made it this far, thank you for tuning in and I'll catch you all in the next one. Good night. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>